scripture reading this morning will be taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. On your pew Bibles, this can be found on page 1042. Philippians 1, 3 through 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray for you, for your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Uh, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, it is an exciting time. Prayer day is one of the best days of the year. The opportunity to take time and extra time and reflect upon the greatness of God and to be able to pour out our hearts of praise and thanksgiving and request. Uh, for that, we are so thankful. We'll say more about that in just a moment. As we are thankful about things, we look past to this past Wednesday, and we had a tremendous Veterans Day breakfast here. And uh, we are thankful that John Coleman was available and willing to speak to the group, and he is a graduate of West Point, so it was very appropriate, and what a great job that he did. We are thankful for the great gathering that was there. There were so many uh, from the congregation, but also from the community, and so it was just a wonderful fellowship together uh, in, in visiting together. It also was a wonderful time of service. We appreciate uh, those that uh, work behind the scenes to serve breakfast. We appreciate the Cowans and the Porters and their leadership, Martin and Joe. Uh, we also appreciate the delicious breakfast that was served. And to each of you veterans, again, we love and appreciate you. And we hope that, that um, we know that in a sense what we did Wednesday morning was a very, very small expression. But we hope you know that that expression to say thank you and we honor you is truly from the heart and we appreciate you. When we think about prayer day, as we leave here, this period of worship, we'll go into our classes and all the adult classes will be praying this morning. If you're a guest, please join us. We'd love for you to find one of the adult classes. We'd love to help you find that if you need it. There'll be one meeting in here if uh, you want to stay here, but there are others meeting around and we'll be praying for every member by name and every request and every ministry. And uh, we are so thankful for the opportunity to do that. Also, as we think about prayer day, we think about about just around the corner will be Thanksgiving. And traditionally, uh, we always challenge each other to make a list of a hundred things for which you're thankful. And a lot of families will bring their list out at the Thanksgiving 
meal on that Thursday of Thanksgiving, and they'll go around the table and share things that they're thankful for. And for many of us, it is truly... Uh, Bar none, it's become the highlight of Thanksgiving uh, to be able to share that gratitude with each other and, and what we're grateful for. And so uh, if you want to jump on board and do that, whether it's individually or as a family, if you'll start tomorrow listing 10 things each day by the time Thanksgiving rolls around, you'll have a list of at least 100, maybe 110 or 120. Uh, I would challenge you, the process is just as important as the list in the end. And the reason I, I ask you to think about that, there is really something special about not setting down and making the list on one day. There really is something special about stopping every day and writing 10 down because it makes you reflect on what you appreciate that God has done for you that day. And of course, when you go through the various days of the week and the weekend, your 10 things will reflect that. And, and don't repeat things and, and look for fresh things every day. And what a beautiful exercise of gratitude that has been. And uh, if you haven't done that yet, we encourage you to do that. And if you've done that for years, tomorrow will be a great time to begin that. Also this year, uh, we will encourage you this week, beginning today, there are prayer stations set up in the outdoor classroom area, the little amphitheater. If you exit the main part of our building and go back to the left, you will see those prayer stations, which, by the way, I, I skipped a slide on you there. Uh, the next slide, let me just say this about prayer day. Out of many things that Jesus said, isn't it wonderful what he said to Peter there? But I have prayed for you. Isn't that beautiful? He's concerned about Peter and he says, because of his concern, I've prayed for you. Today as a church family, we're going to pray for each other because we love each other and we're concerned for each other. And in that, we will be like our Lord. But as we think about these prayer stations, when you go to the rear, this is an actual photograph of what you will see there. And there are four different stations. And the first one is, is a station of praise. And you may want to take with you your Bible. You may want to take an ink pen with you. And uh, you can take out uh, the, the little sheet of paper there and it will direct you through a series of scripture. You may want to make notes on those scriptures. It'll give you some thought questions that come out of those scriptures and then you can spend time in a prayer of praise to God. And then when you go to the next station, there'll be the R for repentance and there'll be scriptures that will lead you through that and, and the opportunity to pray there. The next is ask and the next is yield. Probably if you didn't rush, you'd probably spend 20 or 30 minutes at each station. You may want to come by several times this week. Uh, you may want to wear a jacket. You may want to bring an umbrella. Uh, I have heard, I have heard that some people will actually set out in the cold and rain and watch like football games and soccer games or go shopping and etc. And uh, and so I hope that you wouldn't allow something as piddly as the elements uh, to stop you from a wonderful opportunity of maybe breaking out of your regular prayer routine to maybe look at some fresh scripture and to really meditate upon some things. And my guess is going to be that after you go through that exercise, you're probably going to be very, very thankful that you did it. And so uh, if it is something where you just can't stay there and do that, grab a few of those and take them with you and make them a part of your, your daily devotion and prayer to God. Look, it's this simple. All we're trying to do is encourage each other to really be people of prayer. Pray without ceasing. We hope that the study this month, the exercise that we'll do together and even individually, we hope that when this month is over, every one of us can say,
I'm closer to God. My prayer life is stronger than it's ever been. And if that is the case, it will have been a very good month of focus and concentration. As we think about recently on a Sunday night, we had a sermon on mentoring. And I mentioned to you in that sermon on mentoring that that there is a plan for a program to soon be initiated that would help mentor our youth. And Doug Perry and Philip Jenkins have worked hard and now uh, they have brought this program to the point that it is planned out. And now, what would be your guess that a mentoring program needs? Mentors. And so if you are willing to be a part of the UPS group, or no, the S is on the groups. It's the up groups. If you're, if you're willing to be a part of the up groups, in Bible class this morning, a handout is going to be given to you. It will tell some of the uh, planned activities that you would do with uh, the teens that you would be mentoring. It will also tell you about a meeting on November the 22nd at five o'clock where you could come to learn more. You're not committing at that time, you're coming to learn more. And so we hope that this is something that we will have many teens that want to participate in. Uh, Parents will have the opportunity at that meeting also to learn about what this program is all about so you can feel very comfortable with it and you can support it wholly. Uh, But also mentors are needed at that meeting so they too uh, can learn uh, of the opportunity that they have. It truly should be a tremendous blessing. Uh, I hope that'll be something that you'll keep in your prayers. Be humble. This month, we've been thinking about God's great expectations for us, and it is to be humble. I love the text that I got this week from Ashley McIndoe. She texted me a picture of her principles of management book in college. And, and it had a paragraph how, how managers ought to be humble people. And she said something to the effect of this topic of humility is following me everywhere. Well, we hope that truly the idea of humility follows us everywhere because we know that it's the Lord who ultimately is the example of humility and the one that teaches us us this great responsibility of humility. Now in that we also see the fact that a part of a humble Christian's life is prayer. And those two are so tightly intertwined that we truly could not be humble Christians and not be people fervent in prayer. And we couldn't be fervent in prayer and not be people that are truly humble in our relationship with God. And so today as we are uh, about to look into the book of Philippians and think about that, uh, I want to share with you a a little uh, story that I read this week that uh, I I enjoyed reading it and I'll share it with you. A mother sent her fifth grader up to uh, get ready for bed. And as she walked by his bedroom, she saw him kneeling beside his bed and, and saying his prayers for the evening. And she just happened to overhear him say the word Tokyo. And so curiosity got her. So when she went back in to tuck him in, she said, hey, if, if you don't mind me asking, what, what did you pray to God about Tokyo? And he kind of blushed a little bit in embarrassment. And he said, well, mom, I had a geography test today and I was praying, asking God if tonight he could change the capital city of Germany to Tokyo. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when we do think about what we pray about. And if we're not careful, sometimes we do 
treat prayer and the opportunity to pray to God almost like it's some kind of magical dust that, that we can sprinkle a prayer out in some way. It can just do everything and change everything just the way we would want it. And a deeper study of prayer reveals that's not the purpose of prayer. But then we pause this morning and say, okay, well, if we probably shouldn't pray that, that Tokyo becomes the capital city of Germany, what should we pray about? Well, that could be a huge and a broad study. That would be a good study, but it would take weeks. So what about on prayer day where we've committed to be praying for each other as a congregation? Where could we look in scripture and see where an individual prayed for a congregation? And if he did pray for the congregation, what would he pray? And so in just a moment, we're going to drop down to the ninth verse and we're going to see exactly what Paul prayed for the church of Philippi that he loved dearly. And so I began by asking you, do, do you love the church at Mount Juliet dearly? And if so, you're probably going to be praying today. Uh, you will be praying as you're led in prayer. Hopefully throughout the day, you'll be praying on your own and thanksgiving to God. What's going to be your prayer? Well, let's take some time this morning and see what Paul prayed about. Now that does begin in verse nine, but you read the text already this morning. You just can't skip over that beautiful part of three through eight, where we see the sweet spirit of Paul and his love for the people of Philippi. So just by introduction, let's mention a few of those things. Notice in verse one, I'm sorry, in chapter one, verse three and four, notice how he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. You just get this implied feeling of Paul prayed so often for them. Why did he pray so often for them? Well, because he loved them, but because he loved them, he prayed prayers of thanksgiving. The things that you enjoy, he's saying to the church of Philippi, I thank God for them. But he also says, there's things that I request. I request for you. I go to God on your behalf. Why is that important? Why should we pray prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of request? Well, do you remember James, the first chapter in verse 17? Paul would have known this very same teaching. And that is that every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. Paul, why are you praying in thanksgiving to God for the good things in the lives of the Philippians? Why are you asking God for things? And he says, I know where everything comes from. Everything we'll pray about today. We will pray because we know that any good that we experience individually and collectively is because God has given it. Tomorrow, if God held back all of his gifts, you and I, for the very first time in our life, we would experience a day that had no goodness. That's why we should pause and thank God because every good thing about the life of this congregation is because God has given it. Paul recognized that and, and he thanked God because of that. But 
look on this next slide. You, you see that very same verse again, at least the end of, of the fourth verse there where he says, making my request for you all with joy. Why did he have so much joy for them? Look, there, there are so many things in these next few verses. So for time's sake, just let me mention them and, and hopefully it'll intrigue you and you'll go back and study these verses even deeper this afternoon. But one reason why he had so much joy is he mentioned in verse five that we share in the fellowship of the gospel. In other words, he knew that it was the gospel that was directing his life. He knew that it was the gospel that was directing their life. And that brought him great joy that we were moving in the same direction with the same powerful God. And that leads us to verse six. He was confident that God, who began this work in them, could finish this work in them. In other words, his joy also came because he knew God could do it. Have you ever stopped and thought about what we enjoy as a congregation? Now, how does this work? How do we enjoy this as a congregation? The only way we enjoy what we enjoy as a congregation is because God is alive and working in this place. The power of God is what is making this work. And if at any time we separate ourselves from God and we come over here and we say, we're going to do church our way and we're going to do it the way we want, that's not anything to have joy about. But then notice in verse 7 when he talks about his motive, he talks about how in his heart, that's where they are. Verse 8, he even talks about the affection that he has for them. Listen, he has great joy for them because he loves them so dearly. And then also in verse 7, the joy that he'd have for them is because of the grace. He knows that he shares in the grace of God and they share in the grace of God. So together, they are partakers of the grace of God. And where would we be without the grace of God? That brings great joy. Listen, those are just a few of the reasons why we ought to enjoy coming together as a church family and praying. But this leads us to where we can question Paul. And we can say, Paul, if you loved God this much and you loved the people of Philippi this much, what did you pray for them when you said, I thank God for you and I make requests for you? What was the request? We won't be able to cover it all, but I'd like for you to see a portion of what his prayer was for them. Look at verse nine, Philippians, the first chapter. And in verse nine, he says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. The very first place he starts is he says, I pray about your love. And notice, he says this love uh, abounds. And, and the Greek word for abound is, is it comes from the idea of a river overflowing. Uh, we've seen this creek out here overflow its banks. And, and when you see it, it, it going over into the pasture to the left, or you see it coming over in our parking lot, it's obvious that the channel can't handle the volume of water. That's literally what he's saying about the people and their love. He's saying your love is so full that as one vessel, you can't handle all the love you have. So what's it do? It comes out and you see it. You see it in the way you love God, first greatest commandment. You see it in the way you love others, second greatest commandment. Love, it trumps everything. That's why he starts with it. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. God, first John 4, God is love. Or we think about Colossians 3 where he gives a list of beautiful characteristics, but he says, above all these things, put on love. It's no surprise that he would begin with love and he would say, I know that your love is already abounding. But then notice what his prayer is. 
that it will abound still more and more. In other words, Paul knows at any given time, remember the people of Ephesus in Revelation? They had left their what? They had left their first love. Paul knew it was possible for people who are full of love now, next month to not be full of love. Next year to not be full of love. Next generation to not be full of. Paul, what is your prayer? What should our prayer be for Mount Juliet congregation? That our love that abounds still more and more. That we would never stop being people of love. But notice, this love is not some kind of, of emotion that is sporadic and just fleets around from one place to another. Notice the love here more and more in what? In knowledge. In other words, when we're loving the way we're supposed to be loving, it is rooted in how God has taught us to love. Does that sound familiar? Love and truth. This same writer wrote a sister epistle. And, and uh, well, it's not a sister epistle to Philippians, but he wrote it from the same time period is what I'm trying to say. Well, it's a prison epistle. And notice what he says in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, speaking the truth in love that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. What if we spoke only truth without love? According to 1 Corinthians 13, it'd be worth nothing. What if we had love without truth? We can be moved into all kinds of directions that simply are not right. There's a lot of people that say they reach out and they help others because they love them, but they do not know the truth and how they really help them does not help them in the big picture and in the eternal picture. There, is a lot, there are a lot of men and women that say, I love my spouse or I love my children, but because they do not know the scripture, they don't really know how to love. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I love my friends, but the reality is they don't really know how to love their friends. Why? Because they're experiencing some version of love that is not shaped or rooted in truth. I want you to notice as we go to this next screen, I want you to notice that passage again. And I want you to look, I'm not, I'm not like trying to make application here. I'm trying to help you and I see this is what he prayed. Notice that this love would abound still more and more. Notice, in knowledge. In inspired writing, God is the one who links love to knowledge. You and I, are you ready for humility? You and I must humbly accept we don't know how to love unless we're taught. Now, I know a lot of us want to kind of throw out their argument, oh, but I'm just a loving person and I'm just a gentle person. And listen, I know how to love. You don't know how to love the way God wants you to love unless you're willing to learn. And we need to live out truth and love together. They should never be separated but now what will that lead to? Notice this progression. And all discernment. When we truly are moving from the motive of love, but we are instructed in the gospel of Christ, truth and love, you know what it's going to affect? Our decision making. Discernment is choices, judgment, decision. So the next time somebody in this congregation hurts your feelings, what's your either reaction or response going to be? Will your response be 
I am going to do what God's will would be to do and I'm going to do it out of the motive of love and that's going to direct my decision of how I'm going to handle this situation. Whether it's somebody at work or somebody in the family, how are we going to make decisions? Even if it's decisions about how to use our resources, how to use our energy, how to use our talents, how to use our money, will we make that decision based upon love and truth? And when we make a decision, notice as we go to the next verse, verse 10, this is still linked to that all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. Our decisions that comes from love rooted in knowledge that shapes our decisions ought to be decisions that approve excellence. 1 Corinthians 13. There's a high standard of love there beginning at verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Love suffers long and is kind, etc. Do your decisions reflect that you approve that teaching? Or do your decisions in life kind of reflect the fact of, whoa, they ignore that teaching? Think about the Beatitudes, first part of the Sermon on the Mount. A high standard of Christian living. Does our love rooted in knowledge that shapes our decisions show that we approve with excellence the Beatitudes? Think about Second Peter, the first chapter, the Christian virtues. Add to your faith, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, self-control, etc. Does your life's decisions show that you approve with excellence? Or would the truth be known that if, if kind of it was just really revealed, it would look more like, well, you know, I know they go to church on Sunday, but I tell you what, if you look at the decisions they make, you wouldn't see any reflection of a high standard of Christianity or spirituality or truth from God's Word. Now keep in mind, this is not necessarily a teaching, even though there's a lot we can learn from it. This is Paul saying, this is what I prayed for you. I prayed that your discernment will approve things that are excellent. Well, if we do that, what's it going to do to us? You know, if we're not to be conformed to this world, we are to be transformed. If we apply these things, how is our life going to be shaped? How is our life going to be transformed? Well, notice this next point. This next point is that you may be sincere. In other words, coming right out of that excellent is the idea of, you know what? If you and I accomplish these things, he says, this is what I'm praying for you to accomplish. He said, now this is a different word, but in essence, he says, you're going to be people of integrity. In other words, you are going to be sincere. In other words, you are going to be genuine. Now, the Latin word for sincere, the etymology of it was deemed to be certain for years. And, and now, just in the recent times, there's been a little bit of debate about whether or not that's accurate or not. And so... I'm no expert on Latin, and so I don't know what to tell you, but I'm just telling you the, the definition that stood for years made a lot of sense. And, and it came from the idea of, it was a two-part word. First part, sin meant without, and the seer meant uh, without wax. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? 
No, it really does make a lot of sense if you realize why they said without wax. They were pointing out to the days where pottery was a common uh, substance to make uh, their, their items in their home that they cooked with and they used on a daily basis. So you can imagine it was a common thing to go to the marketplace to buy pottery. Well, if a, if, if a potter is, is shaping his clay and he or she realizes when they finish that there's a crack in their clay, well, they, they can't sell it. If this is supposed to hold water, if there's a crack in it, it's not going to hold water. And, and so what some of the ones that were less than honest would do is they had a wax. And they would put the wax in the crack. And then they would paint the vessel. And if you weren't looking for it, you would just go pick up the vessel. And it looked like it was a vessel of integrity. It looked like a good, well-made vessel. And so the idea was that they would test it with light. And so they would go out into the sunlight and they would hold it up. And usually with the light shining through, the wax would then be exposed because of the light. And you knew then that that vessel was... It was not sincere. In other words, it wasn't of integrity. Notice what his prayer for them is. His prayer is that, hey, I want you to be people where you love. And he admits, I know you already love. I know your love is abounding. I just want it to continue to abound. But I always want your love to be rooted in knowledge so that it can shape your decisions so that you will be people that your life shows you approve things of excellence. And so in other words, you become people who are sincere. You're the real deal. It's not, it's not, oh, well, if you just knew them at, at work. Oh, if you just knew them when they were away from home. If you just knew them when it was Friday night. No, they're, they're sincere. But notice that next phrase, and without offense. In other words, that's the idea of now are you going to affect others? How? Are you going to affect others to cause them to stumble? Are you going to affect others that would be a stepping stone? Well, if we truly are sincere, we're not going to be an offense. It's the idea of blameless. I don't guess I'll ever forget the time that I was inviting someone to church and it wasn't here at Mount Juliet. I was inviting someone to church, and I really thought that I made a lot of headway. We had a good conversation about it. And then at a certain point, that person says to me, is that where so-and-so goes? And I said, yeah. Yeah, absolutely that's where they go. And their next remark was, I will never attend that church. I've seen the way they act at the ball field. And you can rest assured, if that's what you guys offer, I want nothing to do with it. What was I to say? Oh, I tried to recover for God's sake, for the glory of God, for their soul's sake. I tried, but the reality was that person was right. That person was to be blamed. There's not any of us perfect. But listen, if we're continuing in the same sin over and over and everybody knows that's our reputation, we need this prayer.
We need this prayer desperately that our lives would change and that we truly would be people who love God enough that we would allow His knowledge to change the way we make decisions. How am I going to act when my team is playing? How am I going to act when my, my son or daughter is playing? How am I going to act at work when an employee gives me grief? How am I going to act when an employer gives me grief? How am I going to act when it's the best of days? How am I going to act when it's the worst of days? Will the discernment in my life reflect excellence so that, that you can hold me up to the SON, the sunlight, and you can see, you know what? That person looks a lot like God. And then people in the community, not that they would ever say that person's perfect, but they can say that person's life reflects the Lord. Now this doesn't end his prayer, but I want us this morning for time's sake to end with the close. It's right here on this screen, but let's go to the next screen to see it. Notice what his prayer was. Till the day of Christ. His prayer was for perseverance. He didn't just want them to do good at the beginning. Hey, I was there, that Macedonia call, and I saw the church of Philippi get off the ground, and that's all that matters. It's not all that matters. His prayer was, I want you to be able to do this until the day of Christ. Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed a man wants to die, and after this, what? Judgment. This afternoon, if I die this afternoon, what's the next thing for me? I step out of the realm of time. The next thing for me is judgment. Till the day of Christ. If Christ comes this afternoon, what's the next thing for me? Till the day of Christ. Paul, what do you want? What do you want for these people you're praying for? I want them to either die faithful or I want them to be faithful when the Lord returns. But no one is rewarded because they began. Now that's all of us right now. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian, that's a wonderful thing. But nobody is rewarded because they begin. We're only rewarded when we end. When we stay faithful to the finish. And his prayer is for their perseverance. His prayer is for them to finish. That's what I learned today. I learned that Paul didn't spend a lot of time praying about physical things. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I can't help but notice that. Number two, I learned that Paul prayed for the congregation to have love, knowledge, discernment that would lead to excellence, integrity, influence, perseverance. In the next verse, he would even, that they would have fruits of righteousness and that they would give God all the glory. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, we thank you so much for being our God. You bring so much joy and so much hope and peace into our life. And to be able to share life with other brothers and sisters, children of yours, we are thankful and we pray for each other this morning. God, we pray that all of us would love you and that our love for you would be superior and supreme to everything else in our life. And we pray that our love, God, would be rooted in knowledge and that we would surrender to you and learn how to love as you would teach us. And we pray that that would affect our decisions. 
God, we pray that our discernment would lead us to a life that reflects you, which would be excellence. And we pray in that we'd be sincere. We pray in that that we would be blameless. And God, we pray fervently that none of us here would quit. Help us all to begin and help us to never turn back and help us to finish with you. We pray that our life will produce fruit and that we will give you all the glory. God, thank you so much for such a great congregation to be a part of. We humbly thank you, giving you all the credit and all the praise and all the glory. And it's through your son's name we pray and amen. This morning, could we help you begin? Or maybe along the way, you've lost the way and you need to finish right. And so therefore, you need to repent, confess sin, and pray forgiveness. If you're ready this morning, begin by being immersed into Christ or you're ready to be restored so you can finish. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand. As we